Ecclesiastes 5, I want to finish uh, the message we began this morning talking about finances and the last days. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning at verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of the laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely the riches kept for the owners thereof uh, to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he that begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return uh, to go as he came. He shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. As we mentioned this morning, we know that the book of Ecclesiastes was written about a thousand years before the birth of Jesus Christ, written from uh, Palestine. Uh, we know that uh, Samson, or Samson, Solomon uh, was the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, and it means the preacher. And yet he was writing the book to show uh, uh, his search uh, uh, for something to fill the void within his heart. Uh, he was in a backslidden condition far away from God. And yet the scripture says that he uh, had the wisdom, more wisdom than any man in the world. And yet he backslid uh, far away from the Lord. But he was trying to find something to fill the emptiness, to fill the void, to fill the longing of his soul. And yet he had all the prestige, all the power, all the money, all the wealth, all the animals, all the things that, that this world world could offer him, he had it, the wine and the women. I mean, he was a playboy in the horse and buggy days, uh, but yet it was still empty in his life, and he had nothing to show for it. And where he had sown to the wind, he would eventually reap uh, the whirlwind. And finally, Solomon said, let's hear the conclusion of the entire matter. The whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. Now again, Solomon had much to say about money and about the use of it. As a matter of fact, he devoted one entire chapter uh, to talking about money and riches and how to use it, how to invest it, or how to spend it. I'm not sure if Solomon always used the grandest of wisdom. Uh, maybe he had the wisdom, but maybe not the, 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 the prudence uh, to know the difference between how to use the money uh, and, and spend it. Somebody said, what's the difference uh, between knowledge and wisdom? Well, to me, it's like this. What knowledge tells us uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that uh, what was it? See, and then we had a 40 floor, and we can't back this up on the internet either. That's the bad part. It uh, tells us that uh, something is a fruit, but you don't want to put it in a fruit salad. And I can't remember which one that was. I can't remember what fruit it was. A tomato, there we get it. A tomato is a fruit, that's knowledge. But wisdom tells us not to put a tomato in a fruit salad, that's wisdom, okay? I got it right. So finally, I knew it'd kick in after a while. So finally, uh, we see that Solomon had wisdom, but maybe he didn't always use the best of knowledge of the circumstance he had. Solomon could have made mistakes uh, in his use of money. If so, we can learn from his mistakes and not do the same. We can take his stumbling blocks and make them into stepping stones along the way. I mean, he begins, he did, by sharing five things about money and about greed. First of all, he said, the more we have, the more we want. Talked about it this morning. The more we have, the more we spend. 
The more we have, the more we worry. The more we have, the more we lose. And the more we have, the more we leave behind. Those are the five points that we shared with you this morning, and we elaborated on them as we went. Then Solomon went on to say two more things about money and about God. First of all, he said the power to earn money comes from God. He said, here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all of one's labor in which he toils under the sun during a few years of his life, which God has given him, for this is his reward. Note the words, which God hath given to him. Secondly, the power to enjoy money comes from God. He said, furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he hath also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Notice the words, this is the gift of God. Therefore, God gives us the power to earn money and God gives us the power to enjoy money. But it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And we elaborated on that quite a bit in the service uh, this morning. Now, when the nation of Israel was about to enter into the promised land, uh, God told them this. He said, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who, is, who it has given you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it was this day. God does not give the power of wealth. God is not a, a spiritual ATM machine uh, that we just stick our master card of faith in and here comes the money to pad in our pockets. I don't believe that God wants us to heap all that upon ourselves. God blesses us in order that we might be a blessing. We shared this morning that I believe it's wisdom and it's prudence that we prepare for our future. I believe it's important that we prepare for retirement, that we prepare for a rainy day. But just to heap it all upon ourselves and believe God just wants to give and give and give so that we can be rich. Let me tell you, the early church had very little money, but they had the power of God. And today a lot of people have a lot of money, but don't have enough power of God in their life to blow the fuzz off a peanut. I read a story one time where uh, I believe it was Saint, uh, Thomas came in uh, to uh, Aquin, uh, Pope Aquinas and he said, and the, and the Pope was counting all the money. And he's Thomas Aquinas said, oh, uh, what are you doing? He said, I'm counting all the money. He said, uh, Thomas, my son, uh, no longer can the church say silver and gold have I none. And Thomas Aquinas said, true, Holy Father, but neither can she say arise and walk. I'm going to tell you, friend, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Money is a tool. It can be a testing ground. It can be a temptation. We either control money or money can control us. And with that being said, I want to remind you, based on this perspective, that money and its uses and the benefits of it are from God, let's look at a few ways how we can survive uh, in this financially, economic, terrorless time in which we're living today. First, let me say, let's keep our hands in the game when it comes to finances. Let's don't go too far to the left of center or too far right of center. Let's keep our head in the game uh, when it comes to money. I remember when I was a senior in high school, I was a tri-captain of our football team. I remember that our starting quarterback had been out because of injuries. So they brought a sophomore in by the name of John uh, to be, or Jeff rather, to be the quarterback. I was the center. His brother I played with for two years. He graduated the year before me, and he was our quarterback for two years. His name was John, and John was a good quarterback. 
Jeff was a neophyte, a young boy, small little kid, bag of bones, but he wanted to emulate his older brother and be the quarterback for the football team, and he was learning. But they threw that sophomore in uh, to be a quarterback, and I mean the opposing team jarred him all night long. I mean, they hit him, they rattled him. He'd come back to the huddle all messed up. He couldn't remember the plays. He couldn't remember where to do, what to do. And I had to call a few of the plays myself for him and get home and say, come on, Jeff, you're going to make it. And he would line up and everything. And with that being said, he was literally rattled, dazed, and confused. Yet he stayed in the game. Uh, he thought things would get better along the way. But this reminds me of how many people operate in the financial world. Outwardly, we're playing the game, but sometimes we've been rattled and dazzled so much that we don't even know what the game is all about. We have no place to call, and we're hoping that we're not going to be knocked out of life and carried to the sidelines of life uh, simply because we fumbled the ball uh, when it comes to understanding what to do with our finances. We're taking hit after hit uh, by the creditors, hit after hit uh, because we've got more month than we got money. And as a result of that, we're afraid that we're going to crash and burn. And friends, as a result, we don't know what to do. We must be financial savvy in these last days. The Bible said that many of God's people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. I'm afraid we've robbed Peter to pay Paul for so long. But Peter is going to be coming with a calling card and say, I want my money back, and I want my money back with interest. And my friends, that's going to not be a pretty sight when that happens. The economics of the world are going to fall. The value of the dollar is going to be not what it's been in the past because inflation alone is going to kill us. And if they continue just to print money for the sake of printing money, uh, the paper, the money will not be worth the paper that it's printed upon. And if we keep going in deeper debt, deeper debt, deeper debt, we're going to pay more and more and more interest. And we're at the place right now that our nation's economy cannot even service the, the interest on our debt, let alone trying to retire uh, the debt that we presently have. The world is revealing itself and ready to reveal the Antichrist when it comes into this nation and into the nations of the world. But I believe that the Antichrist cannot be revealed to the nations of the world until the church is called out of this world because the Holy Spirit working through the auspices of the church is the restraining force uh, that keeps the Antichrist at bay today. However, uh, things may get extremely rough prior uh, to the church being called out of this world and what we call uh, the rapture of the church. As an American, as a Christian living in America, we've enjoyed the times of prosperity. And I'm afraid we think that the dollar is going to continue to be what it's always been. And we're just going to be, have all everything taken care of like it's always been in our life until the coming of the Lord. We're going to continue to live comfortably. But I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. Recently, there's become a discomfort level and suddenly skyrocketed. And some have decided that the game is all over. There are many people that, as I say, they've got more month left over than they got money. And many people have cashed in their IRAs. Uh, they've cashed in their savings account. Many have sold their houses, sold their businesses, and they moved away to the side of a mountain somewhere just waiting on the Lord to come back and show up for them. Uh, many are living with the notion, uh, the motions of living, with no idea of where life is taking them financially. Now, we can understand this frustration. We can understand the futility in the hearts and lives of many people. But I, I want to tell you, God has given us some solid facts 
foundations and some solid principles of how to manage our finances that I believe will even work in these closing days of time. God has given us several verses of Scripture. God has given us several key verses that I believe that are applicable uh, for such a time as this. For instance, the Apostle Paul tells us, do this knowing the time that it's already the hour that you are to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is near to us than when we believed. In Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul said, So then let us not sleep as do others, but let us be sober and alert. Like the Old Testament sons of Ishakar, they developed an understanding of the times, so like them, we need to understand the times in which we are living in. You recall that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, because he said, Oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you discern the signs of the times? And I don't believe they can. Oh, hypocrites. Now, friend, there's a very little that we can do about the problems of the world's financial crisis. But there are a lot of things that you and I can do about our own financial integrity in this hour that we are living. There's almost a sense of hopelessness, a sense of helplessness in this world that we're living in today. I want to tell you, the weather forecast economically does not look good. It looks very bleak. There are things that we can do to, in, in, to, to help ourselves along the way, things we can do to insulate ourselves from the woes that are coming our way and from the disaster that's coming. We cannot control the world economics, but we can do much to control our own. Let me offer a few suggestions. Number one, take an inventory of your life. Take an inventory of your life. It may be a good idea to take an inventory of your financial portfolio. With that being said, you may need a professional uh, financial planner. Are you living from paycheck to paycheck? Am I living from paycheck to paycheck? Do you have money saved up for retirement? Do you have, or the Lord's coming, I don't need it. Friend, let me tell you something. I believe Good Stewart says we should prepare in case the Lord does not come back for a while. As I mentioned this morning, I know a lot of elderly ministers who preached the Lord coming back in their day and they believed it and we were hoping it to be true. And they prepared nothing for retirement. They had no type of social security whatsoever. They, got, they, they, they opted out of it. And now they're in their 80s and 90 years of age and they have nothing to show for it whatsoever and they're in bad shape today. I believe we need to plan. I really do. I think we need to be good stewards. Uh, do we have a rainy day fund? Do we have a special projects fund? With all that being said, back in the day when Don and I first got married, we lived on poverty and we lived on poverty for many, many, many years. But one of the things that we always did and we still do to this day, we do not live beyond our means. We always tried our best to have enough savings somehow, some way that if we didn't have a bit of income for three months, we could continue to live and survive for at least three months that we get our feet back on the ground. Uh, with that being said, uh, very hard to do, but that was our goal. What's the right plan of action? Uh, there's no, almost no financial situation that you're involved in that you cannot some way uh, get out of that thing and there's hope for it. Let me tell you, if there's a financial problem in your life, it's better to look for right now to try to improve it rather than kicking the can down the road and trying to fix the problem uh, the deeper you get into debt and the further this thing spins out of control within your life. Take an inventory of your finances now and get the handle on the situation before it becomes too late. May I say this? We're just going to talk tonight. Can I say this? Know the difference between necessities and luxuries. Too many people build their lives on overtime. 
and they, I remember back in the mountains one time, they used to get 60 hours a week, 20, uh, 20 hours was overtime. And the men made their budget based on their overtime. And I said, guys, I don't think that's wisdom. Because the overtime could be cut out tomorrow. And if you base your end time livelihood on that overtime, and you're, you're going to lose payment of 20 hours a week. That's a lot of money. And I saw many people go under because they built their life on the overtime. We must understand the difference between luxury and necessity. I see so many young people get married and they want to start out with everything that mom and dad has. It took mom and dad years and years and years to get where they are. And if you'll start small, you'll learn to suffer together and you'll learn to grow together. When my wife and I first got married, I went to the woods and I found this tree. For Christmas it was like this and by the end of Christmas it was like that. You could have stuck a match to that thing and it had gone up in a puff of smoke. She made her ornaments, and I think it's one of the reasons it went down. <laughs> made all those ornaments, and they were beautiful, but homemade, we couldn't afford to buy them. We didn't murmur and complain, and oh, blah, blah. We learned to suffer together, and we learned to grow together, and we learned how to invest together, and spend our money together, and be wise together, and for that, I am forever grateful. I hadn't planned on saying this, but my wife and I have been married for 38 years in a row. We've not had one disagreement on finances. She was raised in Fort Lauderdale, a city gal, and I'm raised in the mountains of Virginia. We've not had one major problem when it comes to finances. You know why? We've been on the same page the whole way. I give God praise for that this evening. I really do. Working on retiring your debt. Again, a good financial planner can help you along this way. I read a story from the late Louis Grizzard. He was an American writer with a humorist, known for his southern demeanor and commentary of the American South. How many of you heard of him? I know you have. He wrote a newspaper column in which he told of a former co-worker who received a letter from one of his creditors. And he said, and I quote, They're mad at me about the fact that I missed another payment, said the co-worker. The way I pay my bills is I put them in a hat. Then I reach into the hat without looking and pull out a bill. I keep doing that until I'm out of money. There are always a few bills left in the hat, but at least I owe, everybody I owe has a chance of being paid out of the hat. I wrote the people back and told them if they sent me another nasty letter, I wouldn't even want to put their name in the hat anymore. End of quote. There are a lot of people who do their finances that way. There are a number of people who are leaving unpaid bills in the hat today, but the Bible does not forbid indebtedness. But it warns against misuse of our money. For instance, Proverbs points out that the borrower is in danger to becoming servant to the lender. And he said, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Six times the book of Proverbs warns against co-signing on another's note. Friend, it's not that we plan to fail. We simply fail to plan. Educate yourself. Ask yourself, do I have a plan for retiring my debt, for getting out of my debt? There's things that you can do. And a financial planner will help you to get out of debt. I, I never forget, I, I, there was a guy back in the mountains came to me one time. And I won't go into all the detail. He's a good old boy. But they had three or four kids and she got pregnant again. They hadn't paid for the first two yet. And he said, can you help me consolidate my loans? I said, well, let's see what I can do. And he came with a piece of paper, front and back, line on top of line of all the bills he owed. Now, you're talking about putting stress on a family. You're talking about putting stress on your life. But we were able to help him whittle away some of those. 
and get his life together. Thirdly, be a good steward of your money. I'm not a financial guru and I never claim to be. But I want to share some, th some, some things straight from the Word of God tonight. The Bible has a lot to say about finances. The list is not exhausted, but they illustrate the powerful things the Bible has to teach us about money and about finances. The New Testament has more, well, first of all, the truth comes from 126 financial principles found in the Bible in the New Testament and more than 2,350 Bible verses that speak on the subject of finances and personal possessions. Here are a few principles. You look at them, you listen to them, you write them down, and you do with them what you want. Chunk them, pray about it, or do them. First of all, there is what is known as the desire principle. Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Needs versus our wants. There are too many times we buy when we should keep our money in our pocket. We see something. It reminds me a lot of a fish. When you ever go fishing and you put a spinner on your hook and you cast that spinner out and the hush, all the, 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 the fish sees that glittery and boy, he strikes it. And they know how to advertise in stores to tweak our interest to go after this. We don't need it, but we want it. We can't afford it, but we're going to have it. And sometimes we get ourselves in trouble simply because we have the desires. Spur of the moment buying. Once again, if I may, my wife and I made a promise before we got married, we would never buy on the spur of anything. If it's too good of a deal to pass up, then we won't let it pass it up because it'll be there tomorrow. We're not going to buy on the spur. We're going to take our time. We're going to think about it. We do our homework. I mean, we go to buy a piece of furniture, and you think I'm crazy, but that's all right. We may spend six months investigating before we do it. We don't want to buy a car. We've investigated sometimes for a year and a half before we ever bought the car, knowing what we wanted. Why? Because I believe that when you're, when you're walking in unity with husband and wife, it's amazing how God will bless that. So once again, no spur of the moment. We also said this. And this has helped us out many times on the telephone when somebody, would you buy the magazine? I can't. Oh, yeah. I said, no. My wife and I made a deal with each other. We're not going to buy anything without the other person's approval. Thank you. Goodbye. Oh, by the way, she's not here. Goodbye. <laughs> it's bailed us out of a many of a thing. Sometimes uh, we pray about stuff. Pray about it and, and, and be willing to wait. And you know what? There have been times there's been things that we had a desire to want, but we waited and we waited and in that waiting process, somehow God would give it to us for a whole lot better price than what we've had. we gone out just about at the spur of the moment. Have we not witnessed that again and again and again and again? Just waiting. Then there is the discernment principle. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I may not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. I think when it comes to spending our money or investing our money, we need the right discernment as to where it goes. I want to tell you something else. 
these people that call us on the telephone, and we get a lot, you get a lot of them? Support this group, support that group. You know what I ask them? Let me just give one. Let's just pull one out of the air. The Black Boot Club. I don't know what that might be. But there's a Black Boot Club tonight, okay? The Black Boot Club calls them and says, Hey, we want you to support our cause. You know what I ask them? How much of every dollar goes to support the Black Boots? And how much goes to administration? Uh, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I said, until I find out, this conversation is over. Well, they say, well, 85% uh, of it goes for administration and 15% goes to the cause. I said, that's not a good investment. Goodbye. And yet they can give you old line and the ploy to where they make you feel guilty if you don't give. Friend, it's God's money. And I want to discern as to where to put it to where it will bring back the greatest dividend for where I sow it in the, in the kingdom of God. Is that right? And I think we all can do that. Then there is a discussion principle. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou must be wise in the latter end. In the multitude of counselors there is safety. For the wise counsel thou shalt make thy war. In the multitude of counselors there is safety. Talk over any big purchase, if you will, with your spouse or with someone that you can trust. There can be times a loved one, a friend, a wife, or a husband can give insight into something. And I believe it's good to discuss it. Not try to hide it, but discuss it with each other. And then there's the disciplinary, a discipline principle. A faithful man shall abound with his blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all were disciplined in our money decisions? How can you be disciplined? Well, you be very candid. When you get paid, the first thing that comes off of it is you tithe to the Lord. I said the first thing that comes off of it is the tithe to the Lord. We don't tie off of the net. We tie, uh, we don't tie off the gross, rather. We tie off of the net. It aggravates me. I'm going to go ahead and say it. That minimum wage is going up to $15 an hour. And they can't even put a, bag, a french fry in your bag. They forgot about it. But we will often at restaurants give 20% tip. And many will not give the Lord 10% of what he owns. God owns the tithe. That's how we be discipled. We make sure that God gets what is his. And we will be consistently discipled in our giving, in our regimen of investing in the things of God. I'm here to tell you, 90% of your income will be blessed of God when 10% of it through discipleship is given to him in love. I've watched it over and over and over. What we give to God, we do not keep. We have invested and he makes the rest of it go. Now God doesn't, now here's, here's where people mess up. They think, well, if I'm disciplined and I pay my tithe, I don't see no money coming in. But friend, your washing machine didn't break. Your car didn't break down. The tires keep on going and keep on going. You don't understand it. Money, it's not that money comes in. It's how God blesses us in a variety of other ways. We don't give to God to get. We give to God because he's blessed us and the tithe belongs to him. We need to be disciplined in the principle of money. Then there's the depreciation principle. He said, lay not for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. It's not wisdom to go in debt on depreciating items. I'll leave it at that. 
It's not wisdom to go in debt on depreciating items. Are you saying, Pastor, I shouldn't go in debt in the car? Well, I'm saying the cars depreciate. I'm just throwing it out. You have to agree with me. I said, you can chunk what you don't want and keep what you do. But if you look at millionaires, they ride old cars because they know as soon as they sign the paper, you've lost thousands of dollars. Now, don't look at me. I've driven new cars. I've had several new cars, and I thank God for it. Have I borrowed them? Absolutely, I have. I'm just saying it's not always wisdom to do so. I'm not telling you I've not done it. I'm telling you it's not the best wisdom to do it. Dan Betzer, who was a pastor down in Fort Myers, a wonderful man of God, turned that church all the way around on missions itself. But he was the type of guy before they wouldn't even go in debt on a, on a, a multi-million dollar building. He said, if you can believe God for a monthly mortgage, how come you can't believe God to give you the whole money before you start the thing? I hadn't got there yet. I wished I could. I hadn't got there yet. Well, pastor, you're in debt on the church, aren't you? Yes. This is not an indebtedness. You know why? Because our equity is millions of dollars more than what our debt is. So that is not a debt as much as it is an investment. What about a mortgage on my house, pastor? Listen, that's an investment. That's an investment. I, I guarantee you, in the economy, if you bought your house even five years ago, you've already made money on your house. And when you, and by the way, if you buy a house for $100,000 and you live there 10 years and you sell it for $100,000, you've lived there for free. Yeah. Have you not? Which is, again, is a good investment. And then there is also the due diligence principle from the Word of God. For which of you intending to build a tower, setteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation, and not able to finish it, all that behold, it began to mock him. Again, can I, do I really need this? That's what I ask myself. Can I afford this? Do we really need this? Can I afford this? How is this thing I want to buy? Is, how is it going to help my life? How is it going to change my life? How is it going to benefit my life if I were to have it today? And then there is the diversification principle. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Invest wisely. Invest wisely. Don't put all your eggs in one basket if you can help it. I guess if I had anything in my financial life that I've regretted, it's this. And a little retirement plan that we have is through the Assemblies of God. I'm telling you my business now. It's in the Assemblies of God. And it's in Springfield Resort. They got a little retirement plan. And they're able to diversify. And about six years ago, we've never been able to put a whole lot in retirement, but about six years ago, five years ago, I called them and said, hey, I said, I'm invested 100% in this right here. I'd like to diversify and go like 60-40 or 50-50. Oh, don't do that because the economy is going to fold. Uh, the market's going to correct itself. You're going to lose everything, okay? And I've sat on it, sat on it, sat on it. And you know what? It hadn't folded. If anything, it shot out the roof. And I could have a whole lot more money, I'm sure, in retirement had I fallen my gut and not listened to Brother Joe Dobelly up there. But now I'm at the age now where I can't do anything but keep it where it's at. And I thank God for it. But what I'm trying to say, learn to diversify, use wisdom, and learn to diversify. And that way, don't put all the eggs in one basket, but follow uh, what God tells you to do and find out from a financial planner. I want to tell you something. Some of these financial planners, they don't care to invest your money, but they want to invest theirs the same way. 
No man back up in the mountains by the name of Wild Bill Gatton. He owned a lot of Honda dealerships, and he was an Einstein of his day. He dressed like Einstein. You didn't think he had enough sense to get out of the rain. And he walked down the road with the Wall Street Journal under his arm. And he went to one of them brokers up in New York and talked about how to finance the money and invest. And the guy said, do this, do this. And he said, I'm not going to do that. So he went home and did it his way and made a mill sack of money because he listened to the Spirit of God speaking to his heart. The wisdom discerning the times as did Issachar. And then there's the descendant principle. A good man leaveth inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinners laid up for the just. But if any provide not for his sons, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Then Paul said, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. I think it would be great to leave a little nest egg for my kids and my grandkids one day. I think it would be a great thing to be able to do. What a legacy that could be. I know sometimes I hear people say, I'm out spending my kids' inheritance. Well, that's theirs to do. But I think it's a great thing to be able to leave some for the kids. And then there's the devotional principle. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. And then Paul said, every man according as he purposed in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. If we follow the advice given in these few verses, I think our finances will stay afloat in the worst of economic situations. David said, I have been young, and now I am old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor seed begging for bread. God will supply all of our need according to his riches that be in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, if we do our part, God will do his. Brothers and sisters, there's so much political and economic confusion in our land today. Unrest is everywhere. The job market's extremely tough. The stimulus packets that you've got check has already run out, I'm sure. And I don't know if another one's going to be in the mail or not. It's a scary time for a lot of people. However, we must not give up in despair. We, may not, we must not be hopeless or helpless today. Some have reacted foolishly, as I said, by selling their house, checking in their IRAs or the 401ks, whatever, and they've gone to a mountain somewhere waiting for the Lord to show up. Now's not the time to quit. Now's the time to roll up our sleeve and let our money be used for the kingdom of God. In Daniel chapter 11, we read the story of Antiochus Epiphanes, his brutal assault upon the nation of Israel. In the middle of the passage, describing the attack, we read this powerful word. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupt by flatteries. But the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. In one of the most horrendous moments in the history of Israel, the suffering of the people, the people who knew their God stood their ground. May I suggest that we who know our God today can stand our ground in these economic uncertainties that we're living in right now. We must put our faith in the hands of our living God. We must put our belief in the courageous group of our brothers and sisters as we all put our hands in the hands of God. And standing together, we give courage and we give strength to each other. Let's encourage each other uh, during these struggling times of life. I want to close this evening with a story.
uh, that was written by a man named Samuel Skull, who settled on a farm in the Arizona desert with his wife and children many, many years ago. And he wrote, and I quote, One night a fierce storm struck with rain, hail, and high wind. At daybreak, feeling sick and fearing what he might find, Samuel went out to survey the loss. The hail had beaten down the garden and drove it into the ground. The house was partially unroofed. The hen house had blown away. The dead chickens were scattered about. Destruction and devastation were everywhere. While standing days, uh, evaluating the mess and wondering about the future, he heard a stirring in the lumber pile and the remains of the hen house. A rooster was climbing up through the debris. He didn't stop climbing until he had mounted the highest board in the pile. And that old rooster was dripping wet. Most of the feathers were blown away. When the sun came out of the eastern horizon, he flapped his wings and proudly crowed. That old wet bare rooster could still crow when the morning sun came up. And like the rooster, we may be falling apart around us. But like when the sun comes up in the morning, God is still going to meet our needs as long as we do our part. Though the world may seem to be crashing down around us, it not, should not change our basic belief system and our security systems that's not in what we have, but in the one who has us. We're God's children, living under the grand and the assured promise that whatever happens, we are in his strong and in his dependable hands today. Lions' dens, fiery furnaces, Giants from without, fears from within, storms that crash down around us, our heads, that does not matter. Our task is still the same. And that friend is to greet the approaching sunrise with joy, with anticipation, with, with appreciation, and with faith in our God. The sun's going to come up tomorrow. It always does for those who know the Lord. You may remember this bumper sticker from years ago. No God, no hope. No God, no hope. I know God, I have hope. And I hope and I pray that God will give each and every one of us financial savvy in these closing days in which we live. That seems to sum up life and seems to be the great message to remember during difficult times that we are living in. Let me close with a little story. During the difficult days of World War II, a young Jewish girl in Warsaw Ghetto of Poland managed to escape. And she went into a cave and she began to write on the wall. And this is what she scratched out before she died. Some powerful words. And here's what she said. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when I cannot feel it. I believe in God, even when he's silent. That young girl endured some dark, lonely, painful days and great trauma in her life. But she maintained hope in an apparently hopeless situation. Her last statement about God came very close to describing what many of us will be experiencing this last day. And that's this. God may be silent, but I still believe in God. Through faith and hope, we can know that God is going to take care of every need that we have according to his riches that be in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord.